What's up, world? Welcome to another episode of Just Grow It, the podcast. I'm your host, Big City Gardener. Today, we have another dope episode. I talked to another local Houston superstar by the name of Ivy. She is the owner and operator of Ivy Leaf Farms. Out of Sunnyside, that's a neighborhood on the south side of Houston, Texas. So sit down and let's enjoy this dope conversation. We're going to learn about how she got into gardening, when she made the transition into farming, and just kind of pick her brain on a few other things. So you know what to do. Turn it up. Let's get it. All right. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, yeah. So my name is Ivy Walls, and I am the owner and operator of Ivy Leaf Farms located in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. All right. So how did you get introduced to gardening? Have you always been into gardening? Yeah. So growing up, my dad had a big old garden in our backyard. And so I would see him, you know, bring in tomatoes inside the house, different things like that. And I didn't start getting into actually growing for myself until about eighth grade. I asked my dad, could he build me my own little backyard, little piece, little uh, raised bed. And I started growing some tomatoes and some strawberries, which is like summertime kind of things here in Texas. Right. So that's where I got into gardening. And I did that until I left home to go to college. And then when I came back after college is when I got back into it. So yeah, I started gardening in the backyard and eventually moved over to farming full time this year on family property. So you've been gardening. You're not new to this. You've been doing this and grew up around it. Yeah. So being, yeah, basically, basically. Do you think that had an influence on you becoming a farmer? I think um, it got rid of the newness for me, so I wasn't scared and already understood like the plant cycle and how things go through and, you know, how to prune and how to cut back on, you know, your tomato plants. Like, you know, some things that make beginners kind of scared. So I think I got all of like the beginner shakes out right. and it let, it let me be like, okay, well, if I can grow it here, let me see if I can grow it there. So I think it, it just got rid of the fear. Okay. See, and that's kind of what... I like to hear that because that's one thing I want to do with this podcast is to kind of help get rid of that anxiety or that fear associated with gardening for people just getting into gardening. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's, that's an important thing because it's like one thing about plants is they're going to do their, their innate ability. We just have to monitor and place them in the right place. That's it. So that's it. That's it. There's not much to it. Not at all. So you were not always a farmer, were you? No. So I went to school for biology. I got a biology degree with a minor in chemistry. And so after graduating from college, I went to actually work for the CDC as an epidemiologist for the city of Houston. And doing that, I was working through Zika virus and going back and forth to Atlanta. And then I moved over to a hospital system here in Houston, a major hospital system. And I was working as an infection preventionist for the last two years. So I was doing right before I started farming been doing pandemic work for the longest. This COVID-19 was really just like the nail on the head for what I do. So you left the medical field to come and start farming. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah. What made you want to do that? When you really think about how like we we get places and how, you know, like why people are at the doctor, it starts with what they put into their bodies. Like, you know, if we're not consuming good things, you really can't output good things. So like, you know, I was seeing people who were food insecure coming through the hospital who had way, way more issues than COVID-19. So 
if the doctor tells you take take with food, take with food, how can I expect you to take with food if you don't have good food? Like you got to take your medicine with hot Cheetos or you know down down it with juice. So it really just like opened up this whole other level of public health, which is food. Food is a public health issue. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. You mentioned it all starts with what you put in your body, and I agree with you that. You cannot expect a good output if you are not putting high quality food into your body. Exactly. So you said that while working with these infectious diseases, you kind of noticed that there was a lot of like it wasn't really just the diseases that were hurting people. It was more the nutrition because that's where it started. Exactly. So when you think about like COVID-19, people with their pre-existing conditions like diabetes, heart problems, high cholesterol, hypertension, different things like that, they're the ones who are our target audience. Those are the people that are being affected at with COVID-19 disproportionately, which also goes into our community, which is the African-American community, which is which why we were hit so hard. Being in Sunnyside, which is where I live and reside, it's a food desert community. You can get any high-calorie meal that you want to there, but you can't get a salad. You literally, there's no place that you can go that you can get a salad that doesn't have fried chicken on top or, you know, it's not smothered in ranch or doesn't have, like, a good mix of freshness. Right. You can't get a smoothie. <laughs> so um, when, you, when you look at why the neighborhood was hit so hard, there's no gym. There's no, like, there's, no, there's nothing that people can do to become healthier, be healthier. That's so true. And I think that's why it's so dope about your farm and what you are doing, where you are making your impact. It was the basis of my farm. And so, like, when I started looking around the neighborhood and just looking at things, I was like, these, this grocery store, because I can't even say these grocery stores, because there's one. Mm -hmm. This grocery store is not, is not what's up. And so it's like, I can do my part by starting to grow. So I was in, it was last spring, so, like, the April, around April, March, April, is when I started planting my cucumbers. And they were coming and had them at an abundant level. So I was like, okay, let me start giving them out to my neighbors. And once that started, you know, filling up, I was like, okay, well, let me see if anybody else. Hey, does anybody, does anybody's grandma live in Sunnyside? He was like, oh, yeah, my grandma lives here. Okay, I'm, I was dropping off packages to their front doorsteps and um, <laughs> doing different things with what I could do at the time. And so that really pushed me to increase production. And that's like, honestly, like how I had to switch from gardening. Because at that point I was gardening. I wasn't really farming. I was just placing things where I wanted to place and, you know, growing what I wanted to grow. Right. And, but I, I needed to increase production and productivity. So that's why I had to like move my model over to like a more of a farming model, which is not necessarily as fun as gardening. <laughs> nah, then it kind of becomes a, then, then you have goals, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you have to produce a certain Every plant has a, has a purpose. Yeah, exactly. You need to produce a certain amount or you start looking at yourself like, man, what am I doing? Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's really like the challenge that I'm having within this winter time because, you know, it's my first true winter farming. Last winter I was growing like kale. I was just growing one thing because that's what I wanted to eat. But now it's like, okay, now I'm growing mustard, things that I've never even, you know, would normally grow because that is what people want to eat. So you're planting specifically for what people in your community in Sunnyside want to eat. Exactly. So I do have in the spring, I will have like a trial garden where I can grow some of those cool new things like lemon cucumbers and, you know, just, just like cool things. Right. But overall in the field, I'm growing food that are that is common to our, our diet already. And because I don't want to come in and bring be bringing like a whole bunch of kohlrabi or mm -hmm. bok choy. And it's like, okay, I don't have a recipe for that. <laughs> nah. So, um, <laughs> 
so I plan to are you you know I've never eat, eaten it before I've never tasted it before right so how can you convince somebody to pay for something they've never even tasted or know how to cook so um, by keeping it within our basically our food palette it you know it doesn't really ramble people up too much no but then you're able to get them you're able to get them super healthy super nutrient dense options of foods that they are already used to eating and looking for eating looking towards eating Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I see you. I see you. And is that the plan that, or is is that what you plan to do always on the farm is to plant for what people in your community are looking for? Yeah. um, Being that that is my market so far, at least the food that I do give out or the food that I have at reduced cost, that is what I will always have. Now, I am starting like the black farmer box where I will have different types of produce coming in to that. So that's where I can get a little bit more fancy and do the different kinds of things that, um, you know, people with, that want specialty items can try. But overall, just keeping it simple, keeping it basic. Sunnyside is a kind of like an aging and a new community at the same time. So, you know, grandmas aren't going to really get outside of their diet. So I'm right. trying to keep it up with them. Hey, so you touched on Black Farmer Box. Let's go there. Tell me about that. What exactly is it? So the Black Farmer Box has a mission of creating an equitable, sustainable, and affordable food system from farmers to food desert communities. So it's a collection of Black producers, Black growers, makers, anything that we're going to accumulate it into a monthly subscription box for those who want to, you know, try new things and support black farmers. So the goal is to get the produce that, you know, farmers have, there's quite a few black farmers in Houston, but they're not growing enough to meet the demand of certain restaurants or certain stores to keep their food on the shelves, Mm -hmm. but they still are growing. So like, you know, some places might be like, okay, well, we need 200 boxes of tomatoes. But, you know, some farmers are only bringing 15. If you have a bad season, you can't fulfill that. So we're taking those 15 and we're putting them right back into the community. And so there's four different facets of the Black Farmer Box. You have the farmer, the community member, the backyard grower, and then supporters. And with that, everybody's role plays a part into the system. So through that, we'll have an education system where you can we can teach you how to grow in your own backyard. Okay. And when you reach your surplus, you can donate it back to the farmer box or sell it back to the farmer box so that can go to the community. And we're it's still in like the pre-launch phase. So we're looking at having our first box out for this Christmas. And from there in the new year, we hope to have to have it going as a bi-weekly box. So you mentioned backyard gardeners. Are you saying that backyard gardeners can also now, let's say me, for example, I grow a bunch of tomatoes in my yard. I eat all I can. Now I can get the rest to Black Farmer Box or sell them or donate them. Exactly. So if you have like lemon trees, orange trees, you know, pecan trees, I have people like, oh, do you want, you know, you can't possibly eat all the lemons on a lemon tree. Right. And there's no, not one single family. So, you know, instead of allowing it to go to waste or letting it go to waste, you can put it back into the community and still make a buck off of it too. So um, with that, we hope to do like a seeding program, teach people how to get their seeds and save their seeds so that they don't have to purchase seeds for next year. Yes. You know, or donate them back to the farmer so that we don't have to purchase seeds for the next year. It's just a continuing cycle, just like the, the plant cycle, honestly. Yo, this is powerful. And I think these are things that need to be done within our community. You know, places like Sunnyside, where the farm is, right? You mentioned that there are no grocery stores. I'm a firm believer. You can't wait for someone to come and put the grocery store there, right? If you have land and you have opportunities and you have a brain, you come up with things like Black Farmer Box and you're able to provide healthy 
options for people in areas and even bigger than that area, which I think is dope. Exactly. And and then also help the farmers who may, you know, be sliding off the scale because they can't meet the demand of the city. Is there a plan to kind of, uh, in a sense, like a co-op? I got 10 boxes of tomatoes. You have 10 boxes. You have 10 boxes and you put it together and then you're able to approach restaurants or things like that. Yeah, that's always a big goal, but that is the goal is to get the co-op to actually be a storefront and grocery store. That's the ultimate connecting point is to be able to put this on a shelf where someone can walk in and shop every single day. So not necessarily like the restaurant, but right. more of like a place for the community, for like community. I got it. Yeah. So now that if that means that's like a black chef or a chef inside of the neighborhood that wants his food that is produced, you know, maybe his restaurant thing is like your food doesn't come more than 15 miles from the restaurant location then yes maybe we can like think about that but the biggest thing right now is to get it right into the community's hands i love the idea i love the concept of it you got me really thinking right now i think that's dope. thank you so until there is a storefront how will black farm or what is the plan for black farmer box to operate yeah so we're setting up different pickup points within the city and at different farmers markets. So we're looking at having a pickup location at the Freedmanstown Farmers Market, the Palm Center Market, and as well as at Ivy Lee Farms so that people can come and pick up their boxes around the city. But then I also have the greenhouse, which is the mobile retail kind of grocery store of Ivy Lee Farms. So I hope to stock that with the Black Farmer Box as well as some of the products that may not make it into the box for the month, but are still great products that people can shop for daily, like seasonings and different kinds of honeys and jams, juices, prepackaged sandwiches and salads and things like that. And then you're saying you're mobile, so you're just going to hop around and pop up different places in the city on different days. Exactly. And so the goal is to have people check out, like you would a food truck, you know, check out our location for the day. It's in our bio. I was going to ask you about the greenhouse and what the plan was to do with that. But I think you just explained it to me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that that was really like the starting initiative of like moving into action, and not necessarily just planning and like sitting on my hands and being nervous about it is that mobility factor. So when doing some research, think about 21 percent of the of residents inside of Sunnyside don't have a vehicle, don't have a car. So that's 21 percent of families out of 20,000 people. That is the large amount of the population. When yeah. you think about Houston is about eight. The city of Houston itself is about eight to nine percent of households do not have a vehicle. So you can't ask someone one to pay differently to eat better and then not make it accessible for them. So that's why I had to get mobile and had to really just like get active, to get deliveries in and to let, like let people see what I have going on. So that that is fully going to be rolling out for the spring. Was it always your plan when you started Ivy Leaf Farm to service your community? I think I understand what you're saying underneath that as well. So like when I, so I had the thought in November of 2019, I had the thought I was in my parents' backyard. I was getting ready to actually move to Sunnyside and you know, I wanted to leave my parents something nice. And I was looking at different Instagrams and I saw like these flower farms. And that's really where I started. I started growing some flowers because I was like, maybe I can do some cut flowers and, you know, give them to friends or share them, you know, with other people or whoever may want to purchase them. And 
as I started like looking at it more and when I actually got to the neighborhood, I was like, oh, I can do something differently. Like this, we eat vegetables, like flowers. You can't eat those. Those don't serve a purpose. And so I can say that I had the thought and idea because of Ivy League Farms, but I just didn't have the purpose behind it or the mission. And so moving to Sunnyside allowed me to create a mission for it. I've always been a community-oriented person, a community entrepreneur is what I like to call myself, or I am creating communities or like, you know, uplifting communities. That wasn't the goal with the farm. The farm was just something that I wanted to do for fun. I mean, I grew up on five acres, so it's like I have horses. I grew up with horses and chickens and cows and the full like little McDonald's farm, old McDonald's farm. But I never really thought about doing more with it. Where some people go into farming because like, you know, there is no, like, you know, they just want to produce things. They want to grow things. They want to, it's not out of a necessity, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so that has like been like one of the actual like kind of like mental trials that I've had with myself is like it kind of sucks that me as a black woman farmer I have to farm out of necessity and people and I have mine has to come with a story rather than like hey like you know like generationally I am a third generation farmer I am like capable of picking up a family legacy in some kind of way whether that my you know my grandfather or my dad didn't put a name or didn't put a you know price tag on it but I have the land. I have the capability, I, I have the privilege to be able to start something of the sort. But, um, you know, but because I love my community so much and because I love and I, I love, you know, progressing us, like the purpose all came together, if that makes sense. So you answered a bunch of my questions with that right there. So that was dope. No, I, I love the meaning behind it. I think when things are done with meaning and passion, then they actually succeed as opposed to like, yeah, I'm going to start a farm because I, I just, you know, why not? And, and so, like, what I'm finding in, like, this new generation of, like, farming and, like, these people, oh, I hate using the word these people, but what I'm finding in the new generation of farming and how young farmers are getting back into it, it's not necessarily for a community, it's for, like, personal gain. Mm. Which isn't bad because we need food. Right. Um, it's just, I don't know, like, just like, oh, I just wanted to farm. <laughs> I find that there's like a juxtaposition to a lot of it. No, I agree. All right. So you mentioned that you are a third generation farmer, right? Why do you think that there is such a disconnect? And when do you think the disconnect started between people and farming, right? And I don't know if I posed that question correctly. I think what I'm trying to say is, I think if you ask our grandparents or even some people's parents, they could tell you where their food came from, right? They knew the person who gave them the milk or the eggs or things like that. But then it got to a certain point, a certain time where there was just a break or a disconnect. So why do you think that disconnect occurred? I can say that when I think about it to like when I, uh, my grandparents, so they had 17 children. They never went hungry because they were growing their own. They always harvested their own meat. They went hunting. They had a lot next to their house that was full of garden, full of food, like a big gold garden. So they farmed because they needed to eat in that sense. So when food started becoming more convenient, you could go to the grocery store or like, you know, and you think about like segregation, like, you know, like when you think about things that are happening and when you're able to go to the grocery store and it becomes more convenient and now you can go to the city and you can move to where you want to go, it just becomes extremely, it's easier. You just people got lazy, just like now they're <laughs> overeats when yeah. you can literally, you had to go driving to get your food or, you know, or you had to call a delivery person. So I just think that it became more convenient. People wanted to move to the city. People lost a connection with actually being outside right? because digital age and 
it's not time consuming, but it does take time. So if you're not willing to put the time into it, then of course, our people just don't remember that it doesn't take much time. They think it's a big task. What's up, world? I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, then you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Big City Gardener YouTube channel. Gonna have videos to go along with a lot of these podcasts. And besides that, over there, I give you a bunch of information to help you just grow it and even to help you just grow it better. All right, let's get back to the show. So how do you think we get people to reconnect to the land, reconnect to gardening and kind of remember that we are not that far removed from people knowing where their food comes from? I guess I think showing people that it's easy and convenient meeting people where they're at, where that's more like patio gardening or small space gardening, making it feasible and tangible, something that they can digest easily. And then showing the benefits. I think, honestly, like, you know, you don't know if something tastes good until you really taste it or do you do it. And so really just getting them active, and, but making it convenient for them. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that's kind of like a <laughs> an open-ended question, right? There's a million different ways to answer it, and there might not even really be one way to answer it at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think overall it's mostly like some people are like, oh, you can do it too. Like I started I, like, you know, like I did this. This is what I have. This is what I have going on. It doesn't look perfect. It's not perfect. It never will be perfect, but it's going and it's moving and it's growing. When like, you know, because like there's like this quote that is like working with the soil is like a direct reflection of talk, like talking to your soul. And until you feel that you like, you know, you're not you don't understand why people are doing it. So. I think when somebody puts their hands in the soil and really gets really gets into action with it, then they can see the love for it. But until they put their hands in it, they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand. That's a fact. That's, that's a fact. All right. So you're talking about your farm. How big? How many acres are you on? So um, we're on five acres. Okay. I actually saw the for sale sign the other day, and it's actually four point eight, but I'm rounding up to five. <laughs> um, it's five acres and so i'm on about a quarter of acres what i'm growing on in um, the back okay now do you have plans to expand your production for more than a quarter acre at the moment no only because this is like my family property i don't want to be intrusive to the environment and once where's pasture where they you know the horses used to roam i don't want to like overgrow on them so my goal is to get my own piece of property to grow for myself. And that will be a complete straight up farming production. Not necessarily because like my parents, a retirement home is here. Okay. You know, like I don't want to be like an intrusive factor to what my parents purchased for their people. I got it. I got it. You can't go too hard over there. Exactly. Exactly. So, But even more than that, that is a lot. So if I moved on to like, let's say 1.5 acres myself, that would be a, a tough thing to do by myself. So as soon as I find like a lead farm hand or a lead farmer to run, then I possibly would think about expanding sooner or maybe even seeing what else to grow on that quarter acre with in different logistically. Okay. So whenever you look for your new space, how much space do you think you're looking for? I want 120 acres. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you not say it. Put it out there. <laughs> I mean, well, you just can't get that so close to the city because I don't, I like Houston is my home, like for sure, for sure. But ideally, 2.5 is, is the goal. 2.5 is enough for me to do what I need to do. Okay. So when you first started Ivy Leaf Farms, what was your goal? The goal? I like asking you questions like that because you give me some real good answers when I just give you like part of the question. <laughs> then you give me great answers. <laughs> 
I get to rambling. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I was saying, like those flowers and neighborhood beautification was like the first goal and mission of the farm because I from Pearland and I was raised off of Cullen. Cullen is where the farm we turned off for the farm. We turned off to my parents' house, and now where you turn off for my own house in Sunnyside. It runs straight up from the city all the way to U of H, all the way to dang near Alvin. So Cullen is just like this main road. And I used to drive down Cullen every single day going to work. And you literally watch the plant die. Like, you know, you have Pearland that has like super manicured trees in the middle, grass and shrubs to go into fence lines that have basically garbage on trapped up into the fence. And, you know, you see kids like waiting at the city bus stop, not the like yellow school bus, because in the city they ride the metro. And it's like you see kids waiting at the bus stop and you're like, they deserve to look at something beautiful. So I started out looking at different studies and how, you know, when you beautify an area, it actually eases depression in a neighborhood. Oh, really? And so that was like the first thing was I wanted to buy a lot and I wanted to plant flowers and I wanted to call it a lot of flowers. (laughs) As corny as that is. Nah, that's dope. But a lot, a lot of flowers. So that was like my original kind of like plan. Like, okay, I'm going to plant flowers. But then I moved to the neighborhood and I'm like, that was so off key because it's like, why not? not people need to eat. Right. Like, you know, when you look at like Maxwell's hierarchy of needs, food, water, shelter, that's the basics. Then you can get into like, you know, personal growth, self-actualization, your family, your friends, all of these things, all the way, all the way up to self-actualization. But if you don't have your food, water, and shelter, you can't even think about anything else. You can't worry about the easing of your depression if you, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from or if you're food insecure. So that was like just so like tongue in cheek and it kind of gave me like this whole feeling like, you know, like I was so off key by just focusing on what it looked like, not about how people felt and how what people are actually, what people actually need. And so I think what's also kind of like beautiful about it is that I am a community member at the end of the day. Like I live here. Like I, when I look on Google and I look for food, like this is my daily act. Like, you know, I have to leave to go get food. Like, you know, this is my daily thing, my daily struggle. And so sometimes you don't realize that, you know, of course you can give like dresses to Haiti and, you know, all like you can donate your time to all of these organizations. But if you're not actually like living it and doing it every single day, you like, don't actually see what people actually need. So you could be hitting the miss on a lot of things. And so the beginning of our leaf farms is kind of like a, a miss, but it's still something that is important to me, but it had to become a line item and not necessarily the mission. So I like how you touched on the importance of beautification of an area. I think that's one reason why I really like the idea and the concepts of community gardens, though they're not always executed well. I think if they come from a good part to good space in your heart, then they can do a lot of good in a neighborhood and in the area. Definitely. Definitely. It can be so purposeful when it's placed correctly, but you know, if it's not the right person or they're not the right crew or committee or organization putting it together, then you're not really going to touch the community. You're not really going to do what you came to do. (laughs) No, no, it's very hard. Like you said, you have to live it. You can't just have an outsider or outsiders come and place something and think that it's going to have a soul and be a living, breathing thing. You need to have somebody from the area who can get buy-in from the area. Yeah. As opposed to just dropping it there exactly i mean and i don't know how mixy you say you thought about it i don't know how mixy you wanted to get get it 
but there are like there is a farm in Sunnyside. Like there is an acreage farm in Sunnyside who is in the zip code, but they're not necessarily bought into the community. They they they're not in the community doing community work. So I understand. I understand. Like you get the benefits of saying you're in the community, but are you really in the community? Exactly. And so that I think with a lot of like grassroots kind of movements, which I would think I believe farms is more of a grassroots movement than it is a farm because it is an awakening of really trying to get people to one, you know, make their houses better because of sell house plants or make their environment better as well as like what they eat better and being more knowledgeable about what you're eating, what you're putting into your body and what you can actually produce for yourself and for your family. Yeah. I love how you just put that. I think that's no, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So you say you sell house plants, right? What got you into the house plant game? What got me into the house plant game was honestly the money. I think everybody became a plant pandemic plant parent, <laughs> and I needed to like to call it pandemic plant parent. I'm gonna have some drop a shirt soon. Pandemic plant parent. So I, I saw the rise because I first love house plants. So I, I honestly, the time I just purchased my house, so I was looking for decorating and how to like really like beautify my space. And so I needed a way also for the farm to make and generate income and to make money for the farm because I hadn't had my first harvest, my first produce yet. I like I hadn't really had anything tangible to take to a market yet. So the quickest thing that I could do was actually sell houseplants. And I wanted, I, like growing up, I always wanted to work in a nursery, but I thought it was a baby nursery. And then it's actually a plant nursery. <laughs> that is what it is. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, I got my nursery license, and then so that's what I used to basically fund the farm to keep the vegetables at lower no cost. Okay. I like that. I respect that. And that's dope. I noticed a lot of people becoming plant parents, pandemic parents, whatever you said for the shirt. I noticed a lot of people doing that, too, during this time. Definitely. And so this is it's also a way for me to like open up the farm to others so they can see what I have going on. They can get something that they love. And then it, if it goes back into that neighborhood beautification, I mean, what's more of the neighborhood than inside your house? So the house plants is how you run. I know you have pop up events at your farm. Are they mostly for the house plants? Yeah. So mostly for the house plants. Like I said, we grew rapidly, very, very quickly. So I went full time in August. So that's about five, six months ago where I'm going, um, you know, full time, really taking this out every single day. And so um, that's like when my production increased so that we could have like a farm farm, something where people can look at and feed the farm and not necessarily, um, you know, like raised beds and rows and really like manicuring it to look like a farm. So I don't really have any house plants. I never really got into house plants. I have no beef with them. I think eventually I will come around to loving them. But what kind of house plants do I need if I'm getting into house plants? If you're getting into house plants and if you but you're like a plant lover, so I think you could take care of the most tricky and most the drama queens like I got to call them. But if you're a brand new plant parent, I would recommend a snake plant, uh ivy, a ZZ plant, or, you know, something that's simple that is like a potos plant. Within those varieties, you can find ones that match, that are like dark and light, that have like, you know, broad leaves or short leaves or that they hang out of the hanging basket or they'll sit in your little pot, windowsill pot. So I think with those, you have a big variety. But I think everybody needs a ZZ plant, a snake plant, and a potter's plant. Those are like the three starters. I guess I might have to make that jump, man, at, the, at your next event. I'm going to have to pick up some house plants. Definitely. All right. So what is the future for Ivy, for yourself, and for the farm? 
look like? The future for me is looking like agriculture conglomerate. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> having a super diverse farm where that's seed, having a seed company, having an outdoor wear line, um, having different kind of educational programs and, you know, whatever that may run into, having the black farmer box going and then having a grocery store, owning my own grocery store through that. So I hope that Ivy League Farms becomes not only a farm, but a business that I can actually grow and have a legacy to leave my not um, leave my family, my future children for them to prosper off of. So that is the goal for the farm. For me, I look forward to like living in Bali for a year and, and looking at their agriculture or going to Thailand and going around the country to really just see agricultural practices for, um, you know, a variety of people. <laughs> okay. I like that. <laughs> what that looks like. Yeah. I hope to have a TV show one day, like growing around the world. Don't give them too much. Somebody might hear it and try to steal your, your thoughts. Hey. Hey, so talk to me a little bit about the outdoor wear line you mentioned. I believe outdoors is basically just fun farm fashion. Being that I am an urban farmer, my meetings can take me to the middle of the city and to a coffee shop or, you know, deep in the trenches at the farm and in the mud. So um, I want, wanted to create a clothing line that, that encompasses it all, that you can look fresh and look cool while going into the city, but it also has a purpose when you're out here on the farm. So um, I chose traditional types of clothing, like the coveralls and the, you know, the large jacket, but I made sure that they had modern day fixes, like having like a, a big enough pocket to fit an iPhone um, 11 mat. Or, you know, all pockets have being big enough to fit your phone, not just, you know, the, the front pockets or the back pockets. Incorporating zippers because I'm prone to losing my debit card or prone to losing things, you know, really quickly. So having different mechanisms like a, a pocket inside of a pocket with a zipper or having a back pocket with a zipper. So, yeah, just modern day fixes to, you know, farm fashion. That's dope. I want a jacket. I got you. I want a jacket. All right. <laughs> okay. So I want to tell you, I think that... Or I notice you are part of this this new wave, but I guess you're not really a part of the new wave because you've been doing this your whole life. But I just want to say I think what you are doing in agriculture is dope, especially what you are doing in Sunnyside and on the South Side. I think it's a beautiful thing. I commend that. I just want to, you know, what I'm saying, say thank you for what you are doing. Thank you so much, and thank you for what you do. You're a rock star. Nah, man, I'm just trying. To, we all playing the same game. <laughs> We're all trying to do the same thing, just help as many people as possible. I feel it. I feel it. And you're doing a great job doing it. I appreciate that. All right. Let everybody know where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So my personal Instagram is The Ivy Files. And you can follow my farm's journey at Ivy Leaf Farm and follow the greenhouse with a W. And you can see all that we have going on. IvyLeafFarms.com too. You can check out the website. And BlackFarmerBox.com too. <laughs> All right. Thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on the call and hop on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate you. No doubt. So you just heard another conversation with another Houston superstar, Ivy from Ivy Leaf Farms. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can check us out, Big City Gardener. That's on all social media platforms, including YouTube. For show merch or just for Just Grow It merch in general, head over to BigCityGardener.com. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, 
send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>